Father God, we thank you uh, for dear friends. We thank you for John and for Rose coming to service this morning. We pray that you'd bless them as they're with us. And we pray that our hearts would be open to receiving what you say through John this morning as he preaches. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Good. Are we on? Yes. Good. You know, whenever we sing that, uh, you know, that refrain, Amazing Grace, how, you know, sweet that sound. And I always think every time I go through Bank Station in London that um, John Newton's body had to be removed in order to build Bank Station. So whenever you're on the central line on Bank Station goes through many lines, doesn't it? Just think, John Newton. I always think of John Newton as I go through Bank Station and his body was removed and I think he's plant. I was going to say planted, buried. <laughs> he's in glory, but uh, his body lies in Olney Churchyard. Well, it is a joy to be with you this morning, and uh, it's always good to be able to come and to share God's word. Uh, we're on a mission in love in Jesus and an adventure. Uh, our little story, just to share a little bit about us for two, two or three minutes, one in, some of you who we are. We pastored a church in southeast London for the best part of 25 years, moved up to Suffolk, thought we would retire. Uh, it's been totally the opposite, praise God, and we just abandoned any thoughts of doing that. So we found ourselves leading another church plant um, when we moved to Suffolk in Stowmarket. We were there four or five years. And we're actually centered in the uh, relational mission church at Bury St. Edmunds, but... Uh, uh, a bit like Rod and Heather, we, we kind of had a ministry, you know, serving emerging churches here, there, and everywhere, wherever God leads. So I wonder if you'd like to turn this morning into the Old Testament and to the book of 2 Kings and chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we'll look at the first seven verses I've really been waiting on the Lord as to what to share, really, this morning. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you're, you're traveling a bit, you think, well, yeah, I could really share that. Or, uh, and other mornings, you're not quite sure what you should do. And on Thursday, I was at a meeting, and um, a Dutchman just came over, very good friend, and he just said, John, I just feel like I need to pray this over you. And... Uh, he said, I, I just believe you need some Holy Spirit penetration in a situation. And he just said, Lord, just sharpen his axe. And I thought, thank you. That's really on my heart, that passage. So, Hert, thank you for that. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place uh, before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan. And each of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves that we may live. And so he said, go. Then one said, please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, uh, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. He said, 
take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and he took it. Now, for those of you who do any speaking at all, you'll probably be aware, if you read commentaries as I do, that this passage is very often just skipped over because no one really knows what to make of it. It is, in fact, the 12th recorded miraculous happening in the life of Elijah. And it does give the most problem uh, in determining why is it there in Scripture. I mean, what it is really simply saying, in essence, is that the power of God works through Elijah, uh, raises an axe head um, from the water, restores the axe head to its shaft. It's as simple as that. It's a a simple um, illustration of a miraculous sign um, performed by Elisha through the power of God. But actually, it's saying a lot more than that. And I want, if I may this morning, to try and just give this a little bit of a prophetic application. Incidentally, one commentator simply said, and I thought this was really great, he just said, it's God giving a preacher the axe. Uh, (laughs) If I'm writing a commentary on two kings, I wish I could think of a title like that for chapters, but anyway. Um, Up until now, in the life of Elisha, very little has been said about what was Elisha's mission. And Elisha's mission concerns the sons of the prophets, and now I'm going to use it in a generic sense, enabling men, and in our context, men and women, to grow in God. There is a prophetic, as I say, application here. In the previous chapter, we have the well-known account of the healing of Naaman. And you remember what happens. Uh, Naaman um, washes seven times in the Jordan. He's healed of his leprosy. And he wants to reward Elisha for this, but Elijah says, no, 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 this is all in the hand of God. This is to God's glory. But Gehazi, the servant, is not happy with this. He knows that Naaman's a very wealthy man and is only too happy to divest himself of some riches. So he asks for a considerable amount of silver and some changes of clothing. When Elisha hears about this, uh, he he, he just takes uh, action. And it says that the um, leprosy that Naaman uh, was suffering falls upon Gehazi. And, you know, there's a great teaching here in the sense that when we open the next chapter, we find that the sons of the prophets, the place where they're meeting, it's just too small for them. What's the point? Holiness always brings increase. When we're seeking to serve the Lord, when we're doing things in his way, Now, bear in mind, we're not living in the new covenant here. This is the old covenant. This man is struck down with this illness. But Elisha, recognizing sin when he sees it, knows that God cannot bless sin. But when this is dealt with, uh, the number of the prophets increases, etc., etc. Holiness 
always brings increase. And if you've made some sort of sacrifice this week where you're kind of feeling, cool, that was tough, can I just say that in eternity, in terms of God's timing, he always blesses us when we stand out for him. When we step out for Jesus, he blesses. There's always increase. The increase is not necessarily always tangible, but there is an increase in joy in the spirit and in the heart. Holiness then brings increase. So the number of prophets, we're told, had increased to to such an extent there was not sufficient space. So they had to do something about this. Now, you know, in the Christian life, everyone is involved. One of the things I love about Christianity is it's not a personality thing. Each one is involved. We have different things that we can do to glorify God and extend the kingdom. Everyone is on the playing field. So we read, each one carried a timber. Each one carried a beam. You know, we're not just called to uh, fill chairs. (laughs) We have spiritual resources, each one of us, that are to be used in order to build the church. You know, if we find out who we are meant to be, we'll never want to be anyone else. And there is nothing bigger this morning than the Holy Spirit working in each of us. Those of us, you know, believers who know what their mission is in life are dangerous. Are dangerous in the sense there's a focus, there's a perseverance, there's, there's, there's that something about them, that quality that just brings results. The early church was not wealthy, but it was mighty. Sadly, today in the West, and we're witnessing times, aren't we, of declension, really, and in many areas we try to combine the two. We want might and we want wealth. And they don't go together. The early church was mighty, but it was not particularly wealthy. You know, the richest place in all the world for mineral deposits is the Dead Sea. I expect, like some of you, I've, I've floated on the Dead Sea. And uh, I, I've often thought, you know, I wonder what lies beneath all this, etc., etc. It is the richest place in the world for mineral deposits. Full of resources, but dead. And sometimes the church can be like that. Believe it or not, I still go to the gym twice a week. Um, and there are two guys in particular there. Um, occasionally I, I kind of nod with them and we have a little chat. But they're the type of guys, they would have to have their shirts specially made, etc., um, etc. Et but I do wonder, and uh, you know, what do you do with all this strength? I kind of think, well, do they move refrigerators for a living or... You know, are they employed by the bus garage to move buses? I I mean, I suspect not. But sometimes we can be like that. You know, we we can have, you know, whatever it is, we've got the resources, we've got strength and we've got ability. We don't do anything with it. And uh, we need to be active and uh, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So I asked myself this morning, and I do truly ask myself, you know, what is the beam, what is the timber, 
what is the, the pole or whatever it is that I'm carrying that God wants me to use to build his kingdom. Interesting that we can never be what God intends us to be based upon natural resources. So, you know, it's like if James or one of the elders said something to us, you know, oh, well, could you do this? You'll probably be in the natural. You'll require absolutely no way. But can I put it to you that it could be that in the spirit you will get that enabling to do that. And uh, God gives grace. He never, he will never give you something to do that you could do in your own strength. But he will give us challenges and uh, just say, you know what, John, you know what, Rosa, look at my wife because we find ourselves in quite a few unusual situations these days. By the grace of God, my presence will go with you, which is very quickly going to lead me in a minute to my next point. So whatever it is, whether it's prayer ministry, whether it's serving, hospitality, children's ministry, whether you, you've got a gift of prophecy that's dormant, um, just allow the Spirit of God to touch that afresh this morning. Be released in all that he wants you to be released, in teaching and administration. You know, the gifts of the Spirit are free, but we can spend a lifetime developing them. And that is fun. The gifts are free, but you can nurture a gift and grow in it, and there's nothing more exciting. And can I say this? Never compare yourself to anyone else. You are unique. You are special before God. The story is told in the Austrian palace of of the great musician Salieri. Some of you may know the story. Salieri was the greatest pianist of his day. But one day Salieri was walking through the palace and he heard the piano being played and he came down. It was being played by a 10-year-old boy called Mozart. The story goes that Salieri never played the piano again. He'd met a talent that was far greater than his and he couldn't compete with it. Never be like that. You know, uh, you don't need to be reminded this morning. There are thousands of better preachers than me or whatever, and better this and better that, but I'm me. And and I will exercise what God's given me to do, but I'm not going to compare myself with... I mean, can you believe it? I mean, I was converted under Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and... You know, I, I feel I ought to sort of stand on a chair when I mention that name. But nonetheless, he, he would have been appalled at the thought. But nonetheless, you know, I just think I'm just one of his many disciples and I just praise God for gifts like that. But we don't compare ourselves. Otherwise, we do nothing. Do you know there's something that you do better than anybody else? There really is. You know what I mean? And find what that thing is and, and just do it. Maybe you've just got the gift of smiling. Maybe you should be greeting on the door. You know, it's the first thing that people notice when they come into a church, who the person is greeting on the door. You know, and it's a great gift. If you've got that gift of... its I was going to say hospitality, because it is a hospitable gift. Just use it to the glory of God. Just, I'm going to detract here. You know the story of the... Uh, um, uh, 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 the, uh, the pastor was a very, very keen squash player. And 
he was very well known down at the squash club and he said to one of the other guys who was not a Christian, he said, look, I'd like to challenge you. He said, would you come along to the church? I just want you to come once in the next three weeks. Only I'm doing a, a mini-series on Christianity Explored. So the guy did. He came for the three weeks. And at the end, there was an altar call, and he gave his heart to the Lord. Uh, and, and then in the week, the pastor met the man at um, the squash club, and he said, look, it would be extremely helpful. Could you just tell me what particular message it was that really prompted you to come to the Lord. He said, oh, it had nothing to do with that. He said, one of your guys asked me out for a coffee. And that's how the gospel grows, my friends. You know, we all have a part to play. God is good. Okay. I try, I've, I've written a note here to myself. I try to live in such a way that nothing gets bigger than my awareness of God's presence in my life. It's just one of the things, I do this from time to time, do you do that? I just write it, put it on the desk. That's all I want. Uh, Just an awareness of God's presence in my life more than any other thing. Next thing, we find these dear men who are are to build this new place in which to meet. They say to Elisha, will you go with us? And he says, I will go. Can I just spiritualize that again for a moment, saying, Presence is vital. We need the presence of God in all that we do. If I'm to do something, I want to ask, God, are you going to go with me? Uh, Are you going to enable me and to give me strength? In Exodus 33, you know the account, don't you, with Moses, and uh, um, he's having a terrible time. The the, the children of Israel, they've built this golden calf and he's had to grind the golden calf down to, to dust and all the rest of it. And God says this thing. He says, you know what, Moses? You can go into the promised land. For those of you who are theologians, there's a huge debate, this one. Would God actually have allowed them to go into the promised land without his presence? Anyway, don't go there. But it just says simply this. Look, you can have the promised land, um, Moses, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, look, we're not going anywhere unless you go with us. It's always presence before possession. Always. I want his presence. You know what it is? A child nags a parent, I want this, I want this, I want that. I can think of countless things over the years, and I know this is an age thing, but really, frankly, all I want now is a car that starts now and again. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, honestly, I really, you know, um, somebody wanted to show me the other day, they they got through their work, they've got a, a, you know, a a, a brand new super duper Audi, they were showing the wrong guy. I just said, does it start? (laughs) Because, you know what I mean, that's what it is. My mother, towards the end of her life, just completely decluttered in everything. She said, I just don't want anything that's going to give me any more work. You know what I mean? I I won't digress into stories of my mother. They're endless. But uh, So, presence is vital. What God does in you will always exceed what God does through you. What God does in you 
will always exceed what God uh, does through you. I've just come back from a, 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 a really, wow, exhausting uh, six days in Norway with a group of young leaders out there. And uh, uh, the guy who, who heads them up, uh, Jakob Holvik, he said, John, what we want you to do is, is we just want you to come. He said, We're not gonna, this is not going to be a preachy-teachy get-together with these guys. We're just going to spend time together praying, seeking the Lord. He said, one day we've got, we're all going out on a hike. So he said, remember to bring some walking boots, which of course I forgot to do. But anyway, we won't go there. Nearly broke my ankle in the process. But he said, no, the point, he said, John, all I want you to do is to come and be with us. And, and you know, sometimes, you know, my, my mind thinks, well, is, is that it? But frankly, that's it, isn't it? If we've got the presence of God within us and the joy of the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., people want, they just want to spend time. That's what I'm finding at the moment. So I'm just simply saying this again to myself. What God does in us always exceeds what he does through us, just being full of the Spirit of God. I'm very grateful for the mentors I've had in my life. Men of the Spirit who, you know, taken time to seek me out. Uh, here I am in my 70s and I'm meeting my mentor on Tuesday. He's two years older than me, but I don't know who's mentoring who at the moment, but that doesn't matter. But he's just a guy that's always encouraged me um, in the Spirit and in the Lord. We need men and women like that. I've got three pictures above my study. One is a Pastor David Pastor David was the first Nepalese pastor. He came to the Lord in the late 50s. He was the first pastor, Christian pastor in Nepal. So I've got a picture of Pastor David with his old, he had an old Bible that he'd wrapped up and he got made a cover for it out of newspaper. And then I've got a picture of my father. My father died, you know, 48 years ago, dad died an inspiration. And then I've got on the right-hand side, Roger Bannister. <laughs> now why? These three men, okay. One just encourages me in the spirit. Uh, Pastor David, when he was there, he had a church of 25. By the time he died, he had a church of 25 people. Today, there are one and a half million Nepalese Christians. My father was an example of how to live my dad didn't become a Christian until he was 61, and then dad passed away. But my father lived. Now, we were living in a different age then, my friends, weren't we? My father lived a godly life. But he didn't know Jesus as his personal savior until he was 61. But he taught me so much about how to behave, how to treat people, how to do things well. And he said to me, and we didn't know dad was dying, he just said to me, he said, John, the one thing I've discovered, he said, said this to my brother, he says, you boys, he says, all the time, he said, I, I, he said, I've known God all my life, but I've resisted or tried to resist irresistible grace. God's grace is irresistible. And he gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he do that? Just thinking of my dad, I can't, I'll never forget it. Do you remember the old hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of Man who came, etc., etc.? My dad just broke down and gave his heart to the Lord.
and then Roger Bannister. Why? Because I've got, I mean, I have no idea where Bannister stood spiritually. I have a suspicion he was a Christian. I have no idea. His daughter's a vicar, that I do know. But I know this with Bannister. I've just got the sort of sporting heroes that I've got are men who do a hospital round in St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington in the morning, get a train from Paddington to Oxford and run a mile in 3 minutes 59.4 seconds. <laughs> Things that can be done. And then Bannister said, he said, oh, you know, he enjoyed his sporting life, but what he did to help mankind in terms of, you know, he was one of the greatest neurologists the world's ever seen. Okay, we're just having people, I look up, and say, come on, John, you were born for better things, you know. Break the slough of despond, get going. Okay. Have you noticed, you know, how quickly we can fall? This man is using an axe that's borrowed. Um, and we are told that one of, that he's cutting and, and, and he loses the axe head. Very rarely does an axe head fly off just like that. When we were down in the southeast, we, my son and I were repairing a lady's fence. It was a very bold movement of faith for her to ask my son and I to do anything. Anyway, um, and I can remember now Steve and I wielding this uh, axe, and I'm noticing that the axe head's a bit loose, and I do nothing about it. And we go on, and eventually the, eff- the inevitable happens. The axe head flies over the friends, I can see it now to the neighbor's garden. I thought, oh, dear God, let that, you know, land on grass. And it did. But the warning is this. When you're losing your axe head, you know it. You really do. When you're losing yourself spiritually, nobody wakes up in the wrong bed just like that. Things have been going on before the sin is committed. Watch when you're losing, when the axe head is getting loose. Be careful. Get round to get things fixed. You know what it is. Maybe someone's hearing, feeling this morning, wow, I'm really behind with my Bible reading or whatever. My friend, just catch up. Just take time out to make sure you're alive in the Spirit. We know when the axe head is getting loose. We need fellowship. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, says Solomon in Proverbs. If the axe head is dull, says Solomon again in Ecclesiastes, and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom will bring success. Wisdom brings success. Sharpen the axe head. There's nothing sadder than to be building the church. I'm talking in the spirit now. You know, you've got the axe head and you are chopping away and there is no axe head. But you're simply doing the same things. There's no power and there's no anointing. We come before a God who wants to restore us. He wants to restore you. He wants to restore me. And in terms of the prophetic application here, he wants to restore the axe head to the shaft. God is a restoring, loving, gracious God. 
I just simply ask this for some of us here this morning. When did you feel, if, some of you, if you're feeling this morning you've lost the axe head, identify them. When did you lose it? Ten months ago, ten weeks, ten days. Ask God to say, just ask God and say, Father, I know I sinned there. I lost my effectiveness there. And he is so gracious to meet you at that point. He knows your heart of repentance. And he is the one who restores and gives fresh grace. The Lord will help you. He will help you to pick it up. God is the one who who turns tragedy into triumph. God can turn disappointments into divine appointments. God can raise the stony, iron-clad heart which is stuck in the mud and give it a heart of flesh, a heart of joy, and a heart of peace. When God miraculously stores what is lost, he gives fresh joy, fresh grace, fresh love. Grab it with both hands. For God is wanting to restore his church. I just praise God for all the new things that are happening here. I praise God that it's built on a foundation of good things in the past but the future is going to be infinitely greater than the past. It may be a tougher time. Uh, I'm not a prophet of doom, but uh, um, we're living in very difficult days. Days I don't sense are going to get any easier. But God's grace and love will abound more and more. I don't know if you know the story of the Chinese church leaders praying for us in the West. You know, um, the lady who was interviewed, church leader in China, she said, I know that you're praying for us, but we want you to know, brothers and sisters in the West, we pray for you daily that you may have the joy that we have. You know, sometimes when things get harder, (laughs) the life of Christ in us gets more precious, more sweet, uh, more bountiful. God's grace is wonderful. So let me just conclude by saying this this morning. God wants a vibrant church. He wants each one of us with that axe head secure, sharp, just ready um, for, the, for the right word on the right occasion, for the right action. Perhaps there's, uh, there, there's somebody here on your, 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 uh, that you know you should phone and you've been putting it off. I'm telling you, Phone up and encourage them today. Just do it. Just do it. Um, People are just longing um, to receive encouragement and help. I just think of the times when I've done things and I thought, oh, the last person they probably want to hear from is me. And it's been quite the opposite. And I remember this lady, I, I remember putting off something and she just said to me, oh, John, it's you. I've been waiting for you to phone. <laughs> you know, and so often it's like that. So just be, you know, fired up and ready in the Holy Spirit. We never, <laughs> we often pray, we pray every day for our family and our children. One of the things that we pray is probably the things that you pray too. We just say, Lord, may, may, um, 
God's presence be with our children. Well, God's presence always is there. It's just that they don't realize it always, and the same with us. God's presence is always with us. The thing that we lose is not presence, but inner strength. And God wants us just to, you know, to restore inner strength this morning. He's just saying, I just want New Life Church to know power and anointing in my spirit. I want them to be ready for good works, ready for every action, fired up, knowing that all the resources they have are available at my hands. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you and I bless you for your goodness and for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your hand upon us. Almighty God, what a mighty God we serve. Thank you, Father, that you enabled Elisha to put the shaft of the axe, as it were, over the water. The axe head rises. And, oh Lord, there is a restoration of power and anointing. Father, I just remember too that all that we do in the Spirit is borrowed. Nobody has or owns a gift. Nobody owns a ministry. But, Father, we do it by grace and by the grace that you alone give. Father, we're tenants. Oh, Father, thank you and bless you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one or two things and then I'm done. I just... uh, um, Yeah. Just, Just sensing this lady here, just... I just feel God just, just sees the love within your heart uh, and he just sees that ministry of encouragement that you have. And he's encouraging more and more to speak out. He says to you, I just want to anoint your very words, the words that you give. I just feel there's a situation where at the moment you're feeling, should I speak into this? And God says, don't fear that you're going to speak into it in your own strength. I will give you the strength to speak into this situation. And as you do so, it will bring honor. Do not be fearful, for I'm with you in this situation, and I will honor you as you speak out. Yeah. Just for the gentleman there in the check shirt. So, yeah. I don't know, you don't know me, but I, I, don't, I, I just sense a, a really good season for you, my brother. Uh, just a good season in the spirit. Um, I, I, I just sense you've got a servant heart. And in your servant heart, God, God's giving you a quickening in the, in the spirit. I believe there's a gift of the spirit that you know about, that you've just been wondering, have I really got this gift? And I believe God's going to in, endorse that thought and bring it upon you more strongly. But he's just saying to you, Brother, to enjoy it, step out in it. Don't be fearful. Step out in that gift. There's something within me about voice um, that, uh, yeah, that, that there's something that you know you you, you have to say and to share. Uh, and, and God's just saying to you, um, be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Um, you 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 are a strong man and a good man. And and God just says. I'm just quickening your inner self 
that voice within you. And uh, yeah, something, something somewhere about the prophetic in all of this. So, Father, I just pray your hand upon the sister and this brother that they may be really released in the spirit and in the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.